Hey, let's talk about Jenna Ingalls Reads. She has built her business on providing high-quality handmade reads, education, and a sympathetic ear to oboists across the country. When you order from Jenna Ingle Reads, you get prompt communication, reads, or cane handcrafted to your specifications and cheerful, friendly customer service. All orders are mailed within one week, sometimes much faster. Single orders or monthly read subscriptions are welcome, and she'll work with you to find the combination of response, resistance, stability, and flexibility that is right for you. Podcast listeners can use the code DISH, all caps, for 10% off their first order at JennetIngle.com. That's J-E-N-N-E-T-I-N-G-L-E.com. Hey, oboists, have you ever found it difficult to sort out when and how to find a new oboe or English horn? Oboe Chicago streamlines the process, providing personal and professional consultation and a large selection of lovely instruments. The process feels comfortable and thorough. Selection includes Effleuré of Paris, Howarth of London, Covey Oboes, and Fox Products. For a credit of $100 towards shipping, mention Doubleree Dish when you call or email Shauna. For a current listing of Obo Chicago selection, please visit www.obochicago.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Doubleree Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. This is plan B. We were supposed to be recording this dish <laughs> side by side. I know. We were going to, we had such grand plans to brainstorm all sorts of stuff. We were going to have a sleepover in good old Baton Rouge. I was going to get to try crawfish for the first time, which I was super excited about. For the first about. time. Yes. Daryl Hale was going to host me for a masterclass at LSU, which I was super excited about. And then you were going to come over and afterwards we were going to have dinner and hang out and you and I were going to do some double read dish business and planning for our IDRS show. And it was foiled by that dumb ugh. coronavirus. You guys know what Corona. we're talking about. You know, I am all about keeping our communities safe mm -hmm. and keeping our students safe and hopefully slowing down the spread of this serious global pandemic. But I miss you and I wanted to hang out. <laughs> yes. What, what must be done must be done. I think we can all agree upon that. But I think yeah, as musicians, you're especially on social media, we're seeing a lot of disappointment of collaborative opportunities and playing opportunities that are going to have to be canceled or postponed. And yes, we, we're certainly all entitled to grieve those. But, um, you know, thankfully, we still have the internet and the mm -hmm. internet can be very useful during this time because we're about to become professors of DeCrib University. <laughs> USM has switched to online only until almost the end of the semester. 
And I guess we're going to see what happens, you know, after the end of April and reassess. But I'm about to start teaching all my lessons on Zoom, (laughs) doing studio class and read class and everything over the internet. And I know that uh, Simo has taken some precautions as well. And so we wanted to talk a bit about some resources that are out there for all of the teachers and students who are scrambling to figure out how to best serve their communities, our musical communities. And also I wanted to say our hearts go out to all of the people uh, around the world who are A, sick, and B, who are losing significant income, like all of the freelancers and orchestral Mm -hmm. players who are going to be struggling financially because of all of the cancellations and postponements. So our thoughts are with you and hopefully this will burn itself out really quickly. Yeah, we're hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. So Jackie, talk to us a little bit about the platform that we use to record the podcast, Zoom. It is um, something we explored after Skype changed a little bit and the ability to record multiple people remotely um, was no longer available to us. We had to go looking for other programs and I've seen Zoom in a lot of conversations of teachers to recreate a classroom dynamic or give online lessons, um, online studio class. I've never used it for that uh, purpose. But we have, obviously, a ton of experience with looping in multiple people at a time and having people who are less familiar with the internet or less comfortable with all things technology just call in on their phone and Mm -hmm. have, you know, I think very nice, clear sound quality and uh, (laughs) positive experiences. I mean, knock on wood, our episodes come out the first and 15th. So if you're like, what is Zoom? It's scary. I don't know if it's going to be easy to use or, you know, if it's going to work. It it works for us. It's working right now. And I've been reading online that if you do use Zoom for lessons, then you want to make sure to uh, set the sound settings to allow the background noise because otherwise the sound is pretty bad. But it should work for you. It works great for us. And uh, if it doesn't work for you, there are a lot of other great options out there. Well, and another thing we wanted to talk about, because with online instruction occurring across many universities, at least in the United States, you're going to be wanting to make the most of your practice time. And at least for now, music is going to be a little bit more of a solitary act than before. So we wanted to talk about some apps that really help us in our practice that it might be a cool time to explore if you haven't already. Um, So one I wanted to be sure to shout out is um, Modacity, which is a practice app that has all these things built into it, a practice journal, um, timers. It has the ability to record in the app and then immediate playback. It has metronome tuner. It's kind of like all the little gadgets that I usually like set out analog on my music stand put into an app. I use tonal energy tuner for most of that. I don't think tonal energy has a practice journal component, but it does have a recording metronome tuner component. Yeah. My understanding is they're very comparable. So that's cool. 
I also love Audipo, um, which is a free app. Yeah, that, you turned me on to this one. Oh, I love it. It's how I learned Soldier's Tale. The Hope Trio. <laughs> the Ragtime. Oh, Soldier's Tale. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you basically download a uh, MP3 of whatever you're playing or practicing. And Audipo allows you to slow down or speed up that track without changing mm-hmm. the pitch. Now, if you're slowing it down a ton, the sound is going to get a little, the quality is not going to be quite as good. But I've had several situations as a professional musician where it's like, okay, we're going to have one rehearsal and then the gig. And so you want to have time playing along with the other parts. Of course, nothing is as great as live performance, but I didn't want the first time that I experienced hearing or playing with the other parts to be at that one rehearsal. So Mm -hmm. I have utilized the Audipo app very successfully. Um, Hint, when I was preparing for my WSU interview and I had all these woodwind quintets to learn that I know I'd only have one reading session, I played along with several professional woodwind quintets in Audipo because you can slow it up and speed it down, that doesn't have to wait until the very end of the learning process and or if someone takes a tempo faster than you're planning to. Uh, so I love Audipo. I've turned several people onto Audipo. I lo- also love Audipo and I also love that you said slow it up and speed it down. I did say that? Listen. Yeah. I'm on spring break. <laughs> Um, I have one more app to shout out, and we actually use this in our juries uh, at USM, but there's a scales app. It's literally called scales, and it's a scale randomizer. And what it does is you can um, have all majors and all minors, or you could limit the number of flats and sharps, or you could do only majors and harmonic minors, or you can just mess around with what scales are included in the randomization, but you just tap the screen and a different scale pops up. And I recommend it to my students for preparing for their scale juries and their sophomore proficiencies where they have to perform scales uh, as part of their grade. So that's another good one. We also wanted to make sure to bring our listeners' attention to two opportunities that usually cost money but are currently free, the smart music um, accompaniment service is giving, what is it? Is it 30 days free? It's free access through June 30th. Ah, very cool. Mm-hmm. And also the digital concert hall from the Berlin Phil is now free for everyone. Yeah, for 30 days. So it says the latest date for redeeming the code is Tuesday, March 31st, 2020. So get on there. I can't wait. You're going to want to get on that. This is so cool. I am excited to check it out. This seems like a great way to spend spring break. Yes. (laughs) Um, I want to mention an app that I'm looking forward to starting to use because I've heard such good things about it, but check out Flipgrid. It looks like a collaborative, it's a social learning, so it's kind of a video upload platform. So I haven't dived too much into it yet, but I'm anticipating starting to use it uh, for you know, read making, like read class and studio class and things like that. So for all those teachers out there, check out Flipgrid. Let us know what you think. 
Well, and um, Galit, if if any of our listeners are really missing, you know, having a double read community, is there any like, you know, back catalog of recorded interviews by professionals in our field that they might want to check out during this time away from school? I mean, now that you mention it, there might be 80 episodes of double read dish. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You can go all the way back to episode one with the poorest audio quality. Yeah, don't judge us. (laughs) If you start back at episode one, do not judge us. (laughs) We're on a journey. (laughs) We did not know what we were doing. We were little tiny baby podcasters. But, you know, just hang out with us. We'll get through this all together. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Ugly Duckling Oboes. Ugly Duckling Oboes is dedicated to the development of young and growing oboists. They strive to provide the necessary tools to help students succeed. They believe in setting students up for success, which is why they rent and sell full conservatory system oboes. Owner Christy Selkeen makes student oboe reads, teaches locally and globally via Skype, including audition coaching for high school juniors and seniors, and rents and sells student oboes. This is an amazing resource that you're going to want to take advantage of, and you can do so by visiting uglyducklingoboes.com, which is where you can also sign up for Christy's newsletter. That's uglyducklingoboes.com. Edmund Nielsen Woodwinds has been serving the Double Read community for 70 years. Nielsen sells a wide variety of oboe, oboe de more, English horn, bassoon, and contrabassoon reeds and cane, as well as reed-making accessories, reed cases, and lafrex. And of course, they have the classic Nielsen wedge knife, which features a double hollow ground with a choice of handle size. In addition, they have many other knives available. Nielsen has long been known for their large heckle bassoon vocal inventory. Fill out their online trial form to start a trial and find the perfect heckle vocal for you. For all your double read accessories, Nielsen is ready to help you. We are so excited to welcome to Double Read Dish, Dudu Carmel, Principal Oboe of the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We like to get to know our guests by first asking them how they began to play their instrument. So could you tell us how you started on the oboe? Uh, I started music, actually, it was with recorder and a bit of theory lessons. When I was in the, it was the second grade, so I was probably seven or eight years old. And uh, actually, I was, uh, it's funny because I was very shy. No, not, not shy. I, 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 I didn't want to, to be considered as a nerd or something like that, that somebody that plays classical music and all that. <laughs> so I, I actually, I, I hid that, uh, the fact that I study music and classical music. And actually, it, it lasts for really a long time until... I was, I don't know, I, until I was like 15 or 16. That's a long time to hide from your friends that you're into classical music. Yeah, it's incredible. And I, my best friend that lived one floor beneath me in, uh, in Tel Aviv, 
he never knew that I was playing after. I mean, it took a bit time until I played the oboe. But then I remember I used to live with my grandmother. And the school was at the very end of the street. It was not a long street. So every time the school ended, she used to stand in the bulk in the balcony and to shout, Judy, come home! And then also she <laughs> to shout that I need to practice and to play. And then once he asked me, what, what, what did she say? You need to play? What is this thing? I, so I said, no, no, it's nothing. She, something I mentioned, like, I didn't want him to, to know that I'm playing. <laughs> so it's funny. So, but anyway, <laughs> in the second grade, uh, Galit knows it's called Kita Bet in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. The, I started to play recorder. And if, like a few years after, uh, a bit of piano. Because oboe is a bit too, I mean, to start it with so, so uh, when in such a young age, it, it's a bit complicated. Anyway, it was in this, in the conservatorium, the Israel, it's called the Israel Conservatorium, Music Conservatorium Tel Aviv, something like that. And then after, like, when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, the director of the of the conservatorium she came with with the, with Smada, the late, late Madal Shazar. She was my Ogo teacher, but then I didn't know her. And she came and to the lesson we had lessons with the recorder, but it was group lessons, so not not uh, individual. It was like six or eight in the in the lessons. And I remember it was the, the recorder teacher was, we say in Hebrew, Yeke. Yeke is Jewish from Germany. That they mm-hmm. are in, the Jewish people who live in, who live in Israel. So they have their character, their special traits. They are very pedant and all that. So she was <laughs> like that. Her name was Chava Friedlander. I will never forget her. Of course, she passed away many years ago. And she liked me very much. And she liked, she wanted me, very much to play the cello. So you can imagine if I was shy to play a recorder, so cello for me is like a really really catastrophe. So I didn't even want to to think about it. So I, I, in the beginning I said, okay, I I want to play trumpet or, or drums or something like that. But then she, like the director came with the oboe teacher and she made me do this ambushu, you know, the, the, the thing with the mouth that I wrap, I wrap the teeth with the mm-hmm. lips. That, that's how we play the oboe. So uh, she told me to do that. And she said, okay, you, you can start the oboe. And then I started. I, was, I started oboe, I was 13 or 13 or 14, I don't even remember. Yes, I think it was after the bar mitzvah. I'm not sure. So I think I was, I was already 13. And uh, after one and a half years, I really, I re- it, it was even worse, this, all this nerd complication I had. Uh, uh, so I, I really wanted to, to stop. And she and my teacher, that time, I'm speaking now about the 80s, the beginning of the 80s, uh, in the last century, of course. She let me hear a few records of Heinz Holiday, uh, because he... She admired him. Actually, now I admire him also. But anyway, she admired him and she thought she will attract me to that through him. It didn't succeed, but it succeeded in that way. It succeeded in that way that I, 
I said, okay, I will continue like one and a, one year more or something like that. So, and then I, I started to like it more and more. And at the, at the end, like at the end of the high school, I, I really wanted it. I was always already into it, totally into it. What did your friends say? <laughs> and, um, they did, at, the, at the beginning, they didn't know. And then in the 10th grade, I changed school. So it was, oh. in, that case, in that sense, it was, it was more, uh, no, but it's funny. I was really shy. It's funny. Now I, I remember that period. And, and in, that, in that period, when I began to be more serious, it still had this thing with the nerd. Uh, nerdness. How do you say the noun of nerd? I don't know. Nerdiness. Nerdiness. Yeah. Okay. But but since I, I changed the school, it was easier for me somehow. So basically, my, my best friends, they didn't know immediately. And of course, afterwards, they knew. But, and, uh, but also, my best friends then, uh, they, they, they were not anymore my best friends after I changed the school. That sounds very traumatic. <laughs> yeah, quite traumatic. <laughs> now we can laugh at your pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through your training after you graduated from high school. Talk us through your training and educational journey. Uh, okay, so after I finished high school, we need all to go to the army, to join the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and now it's more common... And I'm absolutely not against it, by the way, not to do the army. I'm not. But at that, that time, it was for me like um, very normative to, to do the army, mm-hmm. to serve like three years. But the thing is, I could do, uh, we could do some kind of um, tests, auditions for being a, a musician in the army. Mm-hmm. And then you have like... Uh, um, they, they make it easier for you. And also you join ensemble of, of like an orchestra or we were an orchestra. It's an orchestra and also small ensemble that you perform in army bases all over the country. So I, jo- I mean, I, I attended those, those auditions and I was elected. And that, I must say that time, it was, it was a nice thing to do. Not, it was not so common. Now it's, it's it's easier. I mean, I don't want to show off, of course, but now it's much easier than when I was in the army to to be a musician. Um, and then so I could start the academy. So I started the academy in Tel Aviv, and then I studied with Eliyahu Toner. He was the oboist of the the principal oboist of the Israel Philharmonic, and um, I you know I I, I start to look at. Uh, Hochschule, like uh, institutes abroad, mostly in Europe. And uh, when I was already 16, so it's the, 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 the one, the uh, 11th grade, I met my teacher, Martin de Müller, in, uh, in Germany, in Karlsruhe. Uh, so because I went to summer courses that he had, yeah. uh, he taught there. He had master classes. And then I came in, in the, the following year, I visited another master class. So it was clear that I'm, I'm going to him. Uh, and I even didn't finish after the army. I was three years in the army. And you need to finish 
the studies for the bachelor, that time I don't think it, it, it was called bachelor, but anyway, to finish the first degree, uh, we needed four years. And also I was really lazy with all the theoretical, um, all the theoretical um, subjects. Mm -hmm. So I really, I just didn't show up for anything, almost anything. And also I was not very good at it. It's not that I was, everything came easier. Just it, it was, I was not so good at it. So I didn't have any, any particular interest to go to the lessons. And I was, it's quite, I mean, all the other things with oboe came quite far more easily. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was uh, like focusing in, in more in the like playing uh, in ensembles, in the orchestra. And of course I needed to go to the lessons. But I, so what I wanted to say is that when I finished the army, I didn't finish the degree, but I didn't want to stay more in Israel. So, so I applied for that scholarship it's called DAAD in German. It's mm-hmm. called Deutsche Akademische Austauschdienst. It's like a, a chain, a interchange between students mm. uh, in between countries. And then this DAAD scholarship, it's a full scholarship, even with spouse allowance. Wow. And it was important because I got married. I was not even 19. Wow. Now I married again, but, oh. but not to the same. Not to the same <laughs> but we were married I was I, we were married about twenty years. And so it was very important that this spouse allowance that we got. So uh, this scholarship enabled me to go, come with like with I mean I didn't have kids then, uh, but my wife came with me then to Germany and then I I could study two years and then I came back. Well I would love to hear about Thomas Intermula and what he was like as a teacher and what you, you know, what you gained from studying with him. Uh, it's funny because sometimes I think how you define, how one defines the, if it's a good teacher or, you know, or bad teacher. And sometimes, I mean, it's also this definition depends on, on the age and on the person who d- defines it. So, right. I thought about it with, with Thomas. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of critics maybe about him, sometimes about how he played, but I really remember very, very, very clearly specific lessons on specific pieces. Like, I don't know, the, the Bach uh, G minor sonata for oboe, Pasquale, mm-hmm. uh, some pieces, Kupran, uh, and really, until today, it's like, uh, how can I say, it's, it's really incredible. I find it incredible. So it, it means a lot to me. And that's why I think I gained the most I could from a teacher. And I, I'm really happy about that. Because there were, uh, in that time, I already knew Heinz Holliger and uh, Maurice Boog. And Heinz Holliger, by the way, is, was the teacher of Thomas, of my teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Heinz Holliger was a teacher for one semester of my first teacher that I started over with. Oh. And, and I, I will also say a word on, on, on that teacher. Please uh, do. The Israeli one. Uh, one, one. I will say it in, in one second. But just to, 
finished this, this, this thing with, with, the teacher, with Thomas. So Thomas has a very specific style of teaching. He, first of all, he speaks a lot. Also, now he even speaks more because we are very much in contact. Every year we make a festival together in Mallorca, in Spain, mm. uh, like master classes. But also when I was there, he, he used to speak a lot, but many, many, many things I like. So of course I adapted. And the nice thing I think is that, um, how can I say, I don't want to, to be, not in the arrogant way, but I like for myself even, I developed it. The, uh, even technical things uh, that I remember he taught me and we did some exercises like I so I understood where it comes from in the body and all that. So I even developed that. So more elaborated maybe and even it, it so more comprehensive maybe for me. In that sense, I think I really gained the maximum I could ever gain. Really, I mean, it maybe a bit uh, stupid to say, but that's what I feel. It was a very, very good experience. I hope my students will have that feeling also about my I, about me with them as I have with Thomas. And then I know that somehow I contributed their success or or I, not success but their development. And only one thing I wanted to say about my teacher, it's funny because it, I'm sure it's also about the age. I started to study the oboe uh, when I was 13 or 14, as I said. And with Thomas, I was 21. Uh, no, 21 when I started to, like, in a formal, in the formal education, mm -hmm. the formal uh, studies in Carlsworth. I knew him, I knew him when I was, 17 or something like that. But with Smadar, the first teacher, technically and even musically, I don't, I don't, I don't say I'm sure I, I, I learned many things, but I don't remember what I learned. Mm. It's, it's really funny. I'm trying to remember and I don't remember. And I remember that I admired her, really admired her, like she was saying that she, I remember she liked very much Paris and she liked very much Holy Girl. So I really, it was like uh, contagious, this thing with Princess with Holy Girl until now I, is for me the utmost musician and oboist, for instance. Mm -hmm. But, but it's, it's very weird or I don't know what. I mean, one can, of course, explain it in many ways, but it's very weird that she was probably contributing me more of the more about I don't know general emotional uh, uh, development far 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 more than any technical development mm. I think That's at least what I feel she got you excited about it yes absolutely yeah, yeah. I I I I'm telling you I in one point I was really admiring her. Really, and she, I was care in the academy. I, I didn't, I learned with another, with Eliyahu Turner, and it, it, he was not my, I mean, and still I was consulting with her about reads and all that. Mm -hmm. The thing, because I didn't want anything with reads with the, with the teacher of the academy. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I was still very, and also after, of course, we were very much in touch. She passed away like many years ago, about 10 years ago, something like that. She was smoking too much. Oh, that's too bad. Can you talk to us about starting your professional career and how you found your way to principal oboe of the Israel Philharmonic? I finished my, my um, it's called, well, I don't know the translation in English. It's like, it's not a master, but when you are a performer, there is like two years of, of uh, academic route, let's say. And that was this, what I did in Karlsruhe in Germany. So it was two years. I was 23. In this 20, uh, when I just, before I finished, uh, really before I finished the studies, Thomas, my teacher, was encouraging me, stimulating me a lot to try, you know, a solo career and to send, uh, um, to send, you know, recordings. I did some recordings in the school. It was a rich school in Karlsruhe. And so I did some recordings and I sent many places. Some I got even. I got a recital even in Berlin or something. Uh, but but uh, when I just wanted to continue my studies for the like a third, so it's called sol- solo diploma. Uh, then my my ex-wife got pregnant with my first child, so we wanted to go back to Israel, and it happened to be that uh, uh, in there was a, the the in, an orchestra in Israel, not the Philharmonic. They looked for they looked for an oboist, so and they called me. They called me to Germany, and they asked me if I wanted to um, to join the orchestra, even with no audition. It was funny. Uh, and I said, yeah, okay, why not? It was the opera orchestra. And I played there five years. In those five years, I, I of course, in Israel, uh, economically and professionally, it's the, of course, it's the Philharmonic Orchestra and all the rest, the other orchestras, are uh, far below. Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, it's a fact. It's not. It's not an opinion, even because you know it's a fact because it's numbers. It's the most. Uh, we earn the most money in in Israel in the Israel field. So of course I wanted to join the Israel field. Now the thing is, Zubin Meta, who just now retired from being director of the orchestra. Uh, about 40 or 50 years, um, he knew me already because before I went to study, I, there was a program, a small program of the Israel field for youth concerts that uh, um, young players are playing for Zub, for Meta, and then like audition for him. And then he picks several, a few to the concert and they play as soloists with the orchestra. So he I was playing like that when I was 19, uh, uh, before going to Germany uh, to study. And then he saw, he knew me already. And he had a very clear idea about an oboe sound uh, because he was the, the, the music director in the New York field and in LA field. He, he lived in LA anyway, so he was very much American. 
American sound oboe oriented, let's say. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like that. Anyway, so, and he was saying to me, he was telling me, yeah, you know, but with this sound you have, with, I like your musicianship and all that, but this sound, I can't accept you to do it. Okay, sorry. And then I went to Germany and then I came back. There was one of the first audition and uh, and I did the, the first audition I did in the Israel City. I think it was 96 or 95 or 96. And uh, I was playing, I remember, I went to the second round and in the second round, uh, he was really nasty to me, really. Mm. And he said, uh, uh, he said, uh, because he was angry that that I was not following his advice about the sound, and I was studying in Europe, and uh, and he didn't like the sound, and so anyway, he said he said this uh, this uh, sentence that you always say, "Don't call us, we'll call you." And he said, "Don't call us." <laughs> I was so pissed off. I wanted to. I almost like threw a chair on him. I was so angry. So then, and then it was over. They took uh, an American guy for a few years, and they, and then he didn't pass the trial he had. And then they did another audition, which was '99. And then I did another audition, and then he was saying to me, "Listen, still I don't like your sound, but I." And I told him. Listen, I mean, I understand you don't like my sound, but I mean, if you just give me the chance to start in the orchestra, it's true that, uh, you know, with with any instrument, but in, even with the wind instrument that is, is a soloist in the orchestra, uh, you need to, you need to grow in the, in, to, to grow into the, into the, into the job or into the part of 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 the orchestra and in any orchestra in every orchestra is different and the Israel still used to have this traditional uh, very like uh, I don't know how to say it very uh, typical philharmonic sound let's say and um, and I told him let me just give me the, the chance to grow into it you know, to, to I mean, to develop into that, and I, I he said okay, and and uh, I think it worked. Actually, I can understand what he meant. I mean, I was very pissed off with him and all that, but I understand what he meant about the sound. And uh, but still, I was I was uh, loyal to my principle and my principles about you know sound and all that. But I could see the what he. I mean, even I could even not to see, but to feel, to hear, uh, and and actually, what I told him happened because I I changed, but naturally with the with the with the time and uh, it's like a small. It's it's not a metamorphosis, but it's a, how can I say? It's like growing into something. I don't know how to explain it more better than that. So now I, I feel very happy. In the, in the, I feel very happy and very natural um, to play in the orchestra. Really, it's like I feel 
absolutely, I mean, I'm already, the audition, the second audition, it was in 99. In January 99, I remember. So we are speaking now 21 years ago. Mm. And I feel now, really, I can absolutely say, uh, you know, sometimes you work in a place and you always feel a bit detached or a bit of, of, of distance or I don't know. But, or you can feel at home. And uh, for sure, I feel at home. Absolutely. How long do you think that transition to, you know, tailor your sound to what the, the orchestra needed how long about did that take? I mean, was it a constantly evolving process or was it like relatively short, like six months? What do you think? It's really like evolving is the, is the right word because evolving is something that it doesn't come, it doesn't come all of a sudden. It, 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 it needs a development, like, small, it's like a, very, a very short evolution, but... Something that, so six months, maybe it's too little. It's too, it's too short. But I would say, but already in six months, you can feel a change. You can, and, and, and you know what? If you don't feel a change, because now, I mean, we are, there are, now actually we are auditioning also. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't say anything about the, the one that, the, the, the specific person that we audition, but, that that is in the audition, but I'm saying in general that one of the criteria for me for if if uh, like a good uh, if if one one passes trial uh, trial period successfully is if this evolving is happening. Sometimes it doesn't it, it doesn't happen, you know. It's not happening, and then I see, okay, so this guy or this girl, uh, they, don't, they don't match. It's not that they're not good. They are, maybe they are very good, but somehow there is no, you know, there was no, no, no any click with the, mm-hmm. it's like with chemistry. Two, uh, yeah, exactly, somehow. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say, I would say already in half a year, you can, you can you can see something. You must see something. If you don't see something that happened, a, a, a process maybe is not finished. The process, but if it happens, it starts to happen, and you hear it, you feel it. And by the way, this process is from both sides. I must say, it's not only the player, mm-hmm. but it's also like the the orchestra. It's funny to say, but it's like that a bit. The orchestra is getting get used to the player because you know, as the wind player, we 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 the wind players they play every every part they play their own part. It's not like the strings that they play together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more individual, and it's exposed, of course. So it really, of course, the 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 the, the one. The, the individual makes a lot of change, but th- this chemistry is is uh, uh, from both sides. That's what I'm saying. It's not only one one direction, two directions. That's what I'm, I'm mean. I have another follow up question. 
uh, about your audition story. You auditioned yeah. for the same conductor three times? And no, two. Two times. Five. And he yes. didn't like, he told you he didn't like your sound both times. So, and in the end, you got the job and you've had it for a long time and you're very happy. Um, and that speaks to a lot of resilience and flexibility. And that seems to be a skill that not everybody has. So what would be your advice to people who are on the audition circuit looking for their permanent job um, who are not having success yet? It's a nice, it's a nice question. Uh, and it's not easy to answer. It, it depends on so many, you know, components. And how can I explain? First of all, with, with Zubin, I must say that he's this kind of, let's say, not in the bad way, in the good way, he's this kind of creatures. If he was smelling, if he smelled fear, he could, he could be aggressive. But if he could smell that he can count on somebody, then it was really, for me, a real pleasure to play with Zubin. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, he gave me all the freedom I wanted, and I always felt he appreciated me. And uh, they laugh at me because, you know, as Israeli, I'm not, maybe I'm not so polite or, <laughs> you know, everything is not so, uh, not so uh, official and, Maestro or something. I always called him Zubin. And people were yelling, come on, how can you call him Zubin? You must call him Maestro. So all these things. But but and, but and somehow with him, I had very good chemistry, I must say. And I, mean, I know at the beginning he didn't like me. But I think, I mean, I, you know, you don't, how do you say the, what is this in Hebrew you have to say? The baker does not, speak about his dough, uh, something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to speak about my dough, yeah? But, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, still, I think, I think he liked me. At, 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 not, not at the end only. Quite, quite fast he liked me somehow. Because I think because we were like, like made, we really had this, on stage we had this nice, uh, the roles were very clear. He used to give me any freedom I want, and uh, he could rely on me in that sense. So what I'm now, okay, let's go back to your nice question. It's that I think it's, it's complicated. It's not, you know, in one sentence, I cannot, you cannot give an advice. But I think it's a, you must look at those things, not only professionally, but, in the whole aspect, psychological aspect of, you know, the relationship between two people, uh, of course, of course, you must be sure and you must be confident in what you do. Of course, I mean, in the in the way in the way you play, and of course, this this must be. You should not probably transmit some kind of fear show fear 
But also that, it, I mean, uh, for instance, with Zubin, you should not show fear. But maybe with other conductors, it's not such a big deal. So that's why I need, you need to be very much alert to, to many components of not only professional. Of course, professional is a necessary thing. You can't uh, play over one year and go to play in a professional orchestra and, and hope to play. In a, of course, it doesn't, not that. But also, you cannot also, I don't think if you, like, trying to, if one tries very hard to obey every, every little comma or every little pause, or I don't know what the, that the conductors want, or to to make the conductor content as a like a, a, a very obedient soldier, I also don't think that that's good. Well, maybe it's good with specific conductors, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I could say I can tell you with Zubin it would not work. Mm -hmm. That thing, for instance, you need to for Zubin he wanted really somebody he could rely on. Uh, and that if you show him, if you show him, you can be a leader. So then he feels quiet and he feels safe. He feels secure, and then he goes. Some other conductors will maybe think, yeah, it's no, it's too much, uh, it's too firm opinions, or I don't know what. So that's why I'm, I'm saying one needs to be. It's complicated question, and the answer I mean. But one needs to be very much, very a wide, very as wide perspective of of many things that is possible. But okay, it's you know it's it's good for it's like a good advice for many things, not only for how to how to like prevail auditions. <laughs> Could you please tell us about a? memorable moment that you have had performing what past concerts or recitals or concertos really stick out in your mind as memorable it's funny i'm i mean there are there are quite a few but then i forget them but i don't know why now this pops up this uh, uh, i i i not remember a few years ago no it was one or two years ago one year ago I played with Jean Andrea Nozeda. He's very, he's a very, very nice conductor. I mean, good conductor, which I like very much also as a person. And he comes a lot to us. And we did, we did, since with Joshua Bell, we did the Saint Sans violin concerto. <laughs> it's not such a big, but there is a very, very nice oboe solo there. And for me, it was. This kind of solos that you play, and every minute you enjoy it. I don't know. So this is like, uh, of course, I had many moments. It's not. It's it, it's nice moments, and also I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, maniac about uh, about uh, how can I say uh, my playing. But in this, sometimes it's in a good sense, sometimes it's in a bad sense. So I record a lot. Like I recall myself, in, even in rehearsals, and uh, just to know how how it sounds, the vibrato, uh, 
timing, I don't know, things like that. And uh, so, and I have lots of times, I mean, many times I have a specific idea of how I want, I want myself to be, to perform something, even if it's a solo in an orchestra or not only in a recital, it's always the same. And I must say, I don't have many, many moments that I hear the recording and say, wow, this, that's how I wanted it to be heard, to be performed. Uh, and, but, but sometimes I, I, I do that. I mean, sometimes I do feel, wow, this is a nice thing. I, I liked it, what I did. And this is like the, probably the most satisfying moment for, for me as a musician. So, so for the moments you ask that memorable moments usually are associated for me with this moment that, uh, uh, that, that I, I meet my expectations. Uh, but of course, this, this thing that you ask, it's funny because uh, you will know if it, if, if it met your expectations only after you hear the recordings. But still, sometimes I know when I play, like in a performance, that I will like the recording. Sometimes I'm wrong, yeah? But, but sometimes I'm right. So, and that is a nice, that is a nice moment. I have a, I have a few moments like that. Uh, of course, I would like to have far more moments like that, but uh, still it's nice. Those moments are, are I, I like them. So um, to follow up on that, we also like to ask our guests to share the moments that were perhaps embarrassing or hilarious that happened on stage. If you have any that you would like to share with us. Okay, I, I think I have, first of all, yeah, embarrassing moments. Oh, it was, I think, in 98, before I joined the orchestra, we had a tour with a quartet in the States. And I don't remember in which city we had it. We played, I remember very well, we played Iber. It's trois pièces brèves, three okay. short pieces Definitely. for woodwind quintet. Uh, and I remember, but it, there is a there is a city Potucket, something like that, Potucket, something like that, North Carolina, North Carolina or South Carolina. Okay. I don't remember. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and then I had uh, we had this thing. Uh, we had, so we played this piece, and in one in one of the movement, I think in the yeah, in the third in the last movement. Somehow the the page, I lost the page. I don't know what something happened. It it uh, like it was sticking to the other page and I didn't see it. I don't know. Oh no! So then suddenly, and there was an oboe solo, and I was like just inventing things because <laughs> I was <laughs> I was very stressed. I don't know what. And then it was, and then after that, after that, my friend. The clarinet player said, I mean, what happened? I thought your reed was broken. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, I remember that very, very 
like it was very awkward moment very much <laughs> and then i remember what there was one thing with the orchestra also in this thing uh actually two embarrassing moments one with zubin one with joy levy one was in a, i think we were touring and we were playing pulcinella for oboe like an oboe concerto mm-hmm. and one key didn't seal well you know it was not something was broken or i don't know what and then in pulcinella you have one movement that you go very low in the in the register of the oboe it's a ta di di tom bo di do di ba so a low c and then because of that i had really difficulties with that c i i don't know if it was so terrible but i remember that as a very very awkward moment Mm. And also, uh, in, I remember in another tour, this was, I think, 2003 or four, with Joel Levy. So in some corner, we played, I played just a play five. Uh, that there is an oboe solo starts with a high speed. It's slow. And uh, also, sometimes, this high C, Um, didn't come, didn't speak somehow, I don't know why. And also, it was for me like very, I, I was very, uh, I was very upset because of that. I can't say it was like so embarrassing, but it was, for me, it was embarrassing. Well, it helps to know that it happens to the best of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I must say now, now I cope with this incidents much yeah probably the age and the experience of course it's that but that back then I was very much insecure and mm-hmm. and um, it was I, I didn't like that very I didn't like a lot I didn't like that feeling what advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours I I wish I But it's, it's, a, it's like you say, a wishful thinking because it's really an age thing, I'm sure. Um, it cannot, I cannot explain it. It's, uh, you know, if I go again to an allegory, now I have two daughters. One is 28, one is 22 and a half, 27 and a half and 22 and a half. And now I have a baby, I told you. Uh, and... I remember I remember my mental state with my old daughters, and I compare it to now, my mental state in the career point of view, I remember. And it was completely, completely different. So but I don't think an advice will help that you know what I mean? Uh, Because it's the experience that it changes the, 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 the whole format of, of how you, you, are, you are built somehow. So, uh, so when, you, when you come to a, when I see young musicians, I often see that, of course, um, they want to, of course, they want to succeed. They want to be heard. They want to be to that people will like them, and um of course it comes on the account of 
what they, I mean, the, the, the real substance of what they do. I mean, for instance, if they play something, so they will think, ah, oh, I can play a bit faster or louder, or I don't know, not to serve, like, not to serve the music, but to serve my career. It's a bit cliche, I have to say that. I, because I don't think if you say to somebody, young, it will help. One needs to understand that by himself. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, uh, of course, I mean, you can say, yeah, think about the music, don't think about this, and don't think about yourself. But it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, it goes from one ear and will come out of the other ear, and it will not be absorbed in the, in the, in the brain somehow. It needs to, it, it's a feeling. What can you say? It's a feeling that it's, you must be older to, 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 to have it. That's what, that, that's what kind of, I can, of course you have mutants that they can have it already uh, in some point, in some way, maybe like, maybe like wonder kids sometimes. Why they are wonder kids? Of course they have abilities, but you have, I mean, not only wonder kids have the abilities. You can also other people have the abilities, but maybe the wonder kids they have this kind of premature thing. Before, I mean, no, it, I mean they are mature before the before, but not because of the time uh, of the chronology, but because mutants or something like that. And this is of course nice, but sometimes you see that with with the. Uh, with with the wonder kids that in some time it stopped and then they are not wonder kids anymore it's funny but, uh, so i mean this advice i mean you can say it but i don't know if it helps you know what i know uh, then an advice an advice i can give an advice now i think is trying to define you know definitions of of things, I mean, emotions, situations, uh, and to, to try to understand the, like not only the circumstances, but also what causes what. And then, then you can define things, then maybe it can, it can help a bit. I, probably not a lot, but a bit. Yeah, that's the advice I can do. Dudu, thank you so much for talking with us on Double Read Dish. It was a real joy to hear your thoughts on music and on oboe, and we're so grateful for you spending the time with us. Okay, great. For me, it was also nice. We hope you loved that interview as much as we did. As always, you can follow us on all of our social media and listen to us on all of the platforms. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to list them because obviously you found us somehow if you got here. (laughs) And just a fun side note, we, as of this current recording, on March 13th, 2020, we are sitting at 1,999 follows on Facebook. So could you please convince one of your friends? Your mom. (laughs) Please. Your grandma. We're dying. It's been there for days. (laughs) 
please have someone like us or follow us on Facebook because we've been itching for that 2000 mark and we have not gotten there for days. So anyway, (laughs) Jackie, who do we have coming up next? Our next episode's guest who is going to give you life. In fact, banana of life, Ryan Crapo. Good. Well done. (laughs) Why did I just say good to you? Like I was talking to my dog. (laughs) Ryan Crapo, principal bassoon in the Houston Symphony. And she has an epic, awesome interview you do not want to miss. It's so real and honest and great. Jackie, time to end this nerd parade. (laughs) Go make lots and lots of reads and stay healthy.